And I was raised in a culture in, you know, Southeastern America where we've got more Baptist churches and strip clubs than we've got, you know, <laughs> primary care providers uh, at this day and time to be joking, uh, where a religious context was pretty well expected from, from some families and, and how we grow up. I found over time that like you, I, I believe there is a firm difference between spirituality and religion. And I, I choose I, I, first, I choose to embrace it, but I also think intrinsically I'm a spiritual person. I don't think everybody has to see the world in that way. And in fact, I have found a lot of connection with my friends who don't view themselves as spiritual. Welcome to the Embrace Your Inner Weirdo podcast, where paradigms shift. Impossible becomes I'm possible, and weirdos are exposed for who they really are pure geniuses. With your host, who walked from Chicago to LA just because he could, the one and only Mr. Weirdo, aka Rashid Huda. So, um, you are one of the first people that I have no idea whatsoever as to who you are, what you do, where you came from, whatnot. Because um, everybody else that I have uh, interviewed, I've had some kind of interaction with them prior to it. I mean, we, we did have a five-minute interaction <laughs> uh, yesterday, but so tell me a little bit, little bit about yourself. Uh, you have quite a quite an impressive uh, resume there that you put on the podcast nation, which is what attracted me. Well, thank you. Uh, I, I am a sixth generation Tennessean. I was born in, in Idaho, technically, to two parents from Middle Tennessee. Uh, and then at a young age, we moved back to Middle Tennessee to be close to family. My grandfather died at an early age. So we moved to a farm right on the Alabama line. My dad worked in the ag industry. My mom uh, managed the farm while he worked in the corporate world. And so I grew up, you know, running cows and running, you know, I learned to drive at five because I had to drive a truck so that we could haul hay and put it in the barn. So that's where I grew up in a very rural place, uh, learning to drive on an, an overturned soup pot. So literally my dad would put my mom's soup pot in the truck, uh, which we didn't need until cold weather anyway. So it worked out. Uh, we then started growing cotton. Uh, my dad developed, well, there was, there was, Normal cotton is grown on wide rows, 30 to 40 inch rows. There's a way to till and put it on nine to 10 inch rows so that you get more seeds per acre, better weed management. Uh, and also it's, it's a good, like just soil and, and environmentally friendly way to plant and raise crops. So we went to that and that's the world I grew up in. And that's the world I thought, you know, that I would kind of focus on. I, I knew I was going to be a lawyer uh, from the time I was in fourth grade. My family went to Washington, D.C. and we were visiting the Capitol and uh, I decided I wanted to be a senator. So I asked the tour guide, how do I become a senator? And they said, well, most of them start as being a lawyer. So I decided that day I was going to be a lawyer uh, so that I could become a senator. Since then, I've gotten some good sense about me uh, and, and have backed off being a senator and, and sticking with lawyering for a while. Uh, but after high school, of course, went to college, knowing I was going to go to law school, but I didn't really know why. I just knew I was going to be a lawyer. When I went to law school, I decided that I wanted to go so that I could help family farms like mine uh, really protect their interests against corporate ag companies that were really changing the landscape of how people could farm. When I got out of law school, I realized that that takes a lot of money and resources, and I didn't have any. So I came home, uh, started practicing law out of the back of my car, went and started accepting appointments, uh, getting to know people, representing families and folks, putting together small businesses, doing a little bit of everything. But I was also absolutely miserable. So about probably 10 years ago, uh, I, I had a, a, a literal come to Jesus, a, 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 an inner kind of awareness, an aha moment where I realized I was going to have to figure out what I could do to find my soul in the practice of law or I was never going to make it. So I uh, did kind of a personal inventory and realized that I really helped, uh, I really enjoyed helping families who had children in the court system because of allegations of abuse or neglect. So I started focusing on that area. I became a certified child welfare law specialist. 
I began focusing on juvenile law, custody law. Uh, we still did custody work, criminal work, estate planning, et cetera. But my, my practice went from a focus of, I want to be a lawyer and make money as a lawyer to I want to serve my community. And I can do that using my legal skills uh, by helping represent children and families, whatever that looks like, whether it's putting together a, a family farm into a business or a trust or helping somebody over, you know, resolve criminal issues so they can get on with their next chapter or helping families like this morning, for instance, we did an adoption. And so, you know, it was really great to, to finalize that chapter for this family so they can move forward. So uh, ch child welfare, adoption law, juvenile law, family law, um, and, and just anything that helps children and families is, is where my focus is now. And I love it. I found my purpose and my passion in that practice. So that's how my professional life evolved. Um, as you can imagine, that's a hard world to get into and then just step away from at five o'clock, which is how I became a parent. Well, my husband and I adopted three children from foster care, uh, not because they were in foster care. We, we just got to know them and, and loved them and made them. It was clear they were our children. And so we adopted them. Uh, I call them my pirates because at the time when I, when I nicknamed them that, they talked funny and they looked good on boats and they like to steal stuff from time to time. Uh, over time, it seems like they may have sunk into that label a little more than what I'd like. I wish in hindsight, I wish I had named them like employed pillars of the community or, you know, kind and sweet, gentle angel souls. Uh, so they, they meet me more than I would like for them to, but we have a good time. You know, we have, we're, we're really transparent with each other. We ask good questions, even if it's about hard stuff like adoption or biological families or foster families or whatever. So, you know, we're, we're having a good time on that front. Um, I have found that I thought I knew who I was and that's how I got to be a lawyer. And then, you know, I found 10 years ago, I really started putting in some work to become happy, whatever that means. And I was just talking to a buddy of mine yesterday. Over time, it, it, my, my focus has really shifted from I need to do the things that will make me happy to understanding that I'm a whole and complete person that is on a, a path of growth and learning and evolution until I die and that I'm happy already and that I can just really enjoy the circumstances I'm around. I enjoy, I, a few years ago, I was convinced that the, the universe was conspiring against me. I was miserable. I was a miserable human being. Uh, and I went to the store and I bought some stuff for, you know, a kid or I don't remember what the project was, but I remember just going into a local you know, Dollar Tree or Dollar General or something and just buying a bag of crap and brought it home thinking I was, this was a bag of stuff intended for whatever project I needed it for. When I got that stuff out of the bag, everything I had bought that I hadn't paid attention to in the store that I thought was for somebody else that I thought they needed was stuff that made me smile. It was stuff that I didn't realize related to, you know, something whimsical that I thought was amusing or a favorite cartoon or TV show or whatever. So I realized in that moment that the universe is conspiring for me as much as I thought it was conspiring against me. And I, I called that moment uh, and the kind of that experience, cosmic sprinkles, that, that that experience that if I look for it, there are sprinkles, just like sprinkles on a cupcake from the universe everywhere, every day. And I can spend as much time as I want wallowing in self-pity and misery or I can spend the same amount of time looking for ways uh, to see how, how the universe is coming to entertain me and amuse me and work for me and, and come together. And so uh, Cosmic Sprinkles has kind of taken off. Uh, I have started a program called You Matter, which is a, an exploration of how, you know, I've been studying as, as a student. I'm a nerd. I'm a self-proclaimed nerd. I love <laughs> Love it. Uh, love studying, love learning, love growing. Uh, and so in that process of studying and learning and growing, uh, I've really kind of synthesized a lot of information and then used it, processed it to, to come up with, with a path, a guidebook of sorts on how to come about figuring out who we are and celebrating the weirdo in all of us, uh, to, to borrow your term. So you know, it's not enough to say, here's the things I can do, which, which intrinsically requires us to reject ourselves. Like, I, I'm not okay right now, so I've got to do these things in order to be okay. When I come to terms with the fact I am who I am, and that's okay, and I can be happy and satisfied with being a person of authenticity and integrity, 
and then use that as a foundation for growing and evolving and exploring and being curious and learning all these things and meeting goals uh, while also being fully content and happy with who I am today. You know, it really is a game changer. And so, you know, I used to think I was born to be a lawyer. And now I think I'm born to be a Stacy. And all of these different things have come about where I happen to practice law. I happen to enjoy my professional endeavors. I happen to really feel a, a deep desire to help other people find a place of, of acceptance and, and confidence in themselves. And so it's really, it's, it's interesting how things have evolved. So that that's where I'm at. <laughs> I don't know if that summarizes it well, but that's kind of where, how I got to where I am today. So what are we going to talk about for the rest of the interview? <laughs> well, anything you want to, we can talk about <laughs> any part of it. All of it's great. You, you've said so much in that little piece about yourself that covers a wide variety of things. And I would say you're probably second or third person that I've talked to on this show that has a spiritual grounding, which is not what I had ever thought about it when I started recording this show when I started interviewing people, uh, I am personally uh, spiritual in nature, not necessarily religious. You know, we all have our upbringing and the, the group of family of uh, faith that we belong to, whatever. Uh, but being spiritual and being religious in my mind is not the same thing. I'm inclined to agree with you there, Rashid. Uh, I, and I found really interesting. I, some of my closest friends are atheists. And I was raised in a culture in, you know, Southeastern America where we've got more Baptist churches and strip clubs than we've got, you know, <laughs> primary care providers uh, at this day and time to be joking. Uh, where a religious context was pretty well expected from, from some families and, and how we grow up. I found over time that like you, I, I believe there is a firm difference between spirituality and religion. And I, I choose, uh, I, first I choose to embrace it, but I also think intrinsically I'm a spiritual person. I don't think everybody has to see the world in that way. And in fact, I have found a lot of connection with my friends who don't view themselves as spiritual or necessarily view themselves as religious people, or even, you know, don't even acknowledge or accept or choose to believe that there is a higher power. But the connection of purpose and kindness uh, and involvement and giving yourself to something bigger, even if it doesn't have an eternal slant to it, uh, is something that connects us all, whether we're spiritual or not. And that's been a real fun thing for me to learn because of the culture I grew up in. So, you know, having an opportunity to learn just how wrong my thinking has been in some areas, not to say there's anything wrong with being religious uh, or having that as part of your culture, but I only thought that way because that was the only idea I had ever entertained. And so really getting a chance to entertain other ideas and figure out where I stood and, and, and really embracing that it's okay for me to feel the way I feel about things, it's okay for someone else to feel differently, even if it seems like those views are opposite. Because when it comes down to being kind or enjoying things, you know, ice cream brings together a world of folks that may or may not believe in heaven or hell. And so like it, finding those commonalities among us are really part of the human experience in a really beautiful way, uh, in a way that keeps us moving forward instead of really getting hung up on fights that obviously, from this standpoint, may not have a clear answer. That is an unusual perspective on life. And I don't believe that is very common where you grew up. How did you come about being so weird? Or how did it feel growing up? Like you said, you were driving when you were five years old. Now that's pretty weird. So that's a really great question. Um, and I, it, it's a 42 year long answer to, to, to be sure. So, you know, I knew that. I, I don't was, think we have that much time. But you, you said, what can we do for the other 30 minutes, <laughs> 30 minutes, 42 years, whatever. Uh, yeah. So when I, I first knew that, that I saw the world in a different way from a young age, we moved, like I told you, we moved back. My dad was a salesman in other uh, territories for a while. When we moved back home, we built a house on a farm we had bought. And it was, we built it between kindergarten 
in first grade. So I would have been between five and six. And my mom said that we would be able to pick out our own carpet. So when we came time to go to the carpet store and pick out the carpet, everybody chose the same brown carpet except me. I wanted pink. So she said, what color do you want? I said, I want pink. And she said, but everybody else is getting brown. I said, that's great. I want pink in my bedroom. I want pink. So she said, well, why don't you get a different brown so that we all have brown? And I said, I want pink. Well, what if you get brown carpet, but a pink rug? Like, what if I get a pink carpet? Because you told me I could have it. And it got down to where it was me versus her. And she asked my daddy uh, to make me get brown. And daddy said, you know, you told her she could get pink. Looks like she's getting pink. And I got pink carpet. And it was there till I was well into my 20s when my parents remodeled. So I knew I was different. I knew I saw the world a different way. I knew I had different experiences. I was, you know, culturally raised where there are certain expectations. I was raised in a certain religious view. I was raised, you know, in certain political views, depending on which side of the family you went to. And this is what you do at ball games. And this is priorities that we have in a small town and those sorts of things. And I got that other people got those, but I also got that I didn't get those same priorities. And that for a lot of my childhood, I felt like that made me an outcast. So while my friends and peers were, you know, talking, playing video games, for instance, in fifth and sixth grade, I was reading Gone with the Wind. When eighth grade came around and other people were going to a dance, I was at home with a shirt that said so many books, so little time. Uh, and so I knew that I was off. I just didn't know how or why. And at the time it felt isolating and it felt lonely and it felt like I was just somebody that didn't fit in. Uh, but I had a librarian, Miss Bergeron, and I hadn't thought about her in years. But one day at school, she told me, Stacy, you're a leader. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. And I don't, you know, okay, whatever. Uh, but that, that sentence stuck in my head. Fast forward to college when one of my best friends, I had two best friends, both of them were guys. And one of my best friends introduced me to some folks. And he said, y'all love Stacy. She's really cool. And she doesn't care. And I thought, what does that mean? Like, what do you mean? I don't care. Uh, and so I asked him later, I said, what do you mean? I don't care. Like, are you saying that I'm cruel or something? He said, no, I just, you don't pay attention to people's opinion of you. And I thought, huh, that, that's really interesting. I also should say, because um, you know, it's something that I'm still processing, although we're getting to the, the other side of it, I had a grandmother who was very cruel to me and said really hurtful things. And so I grew up thinking that I felt alone and different because I was less than valuable, because I felt alone and different because I liked pink carpet and I could drive a hay truck and I like to read instead of play video games. But then I also had this voice coming from someone who was supposed to be very important in my life, telling me that I wasn't valuable. And so I thought that these things that I felt were different and isolating also meant that I wasn't valuable. So I, I, I over time struggled with, you know, should I comply and should I match? Should I get involved? Should I, you know, be part of the crowd? Uh, although it feels really gross to do that, it, I feel, you know, I, it, it, although I didn't have the vocabulary for it, I knew that it didn't feel good to be something I wasn't. Uh, but should I do that so that I'll be valuable so that whatever? Uh, and ultimately, as you can tell, I decided not to go that route. It wasn't until I was older when, uh, I, I guess, 10 years ago, when I was working as a lawyer, trying to do what they tell you to do in law school, trying to earn the respect of my colleagues in the bar, trying to build a business that, you know, all the bar associations say you need to build. And I was miserable. I was miserable to the point where I was on the verge of substance abuse. I was, you know, I, I was, I didn't have suicidal ideations, but I did not care enough, you know, didn't care to live. I, it wasn't that I wanted to die. I didn't, I didn't ever try to kill myself, uh, but I think it could have gotten there very quickly. I was just like, you know, indifferent to things. And I knew when I was in that space uh, the weirdo in me was like, this is not right. Something is wrong here. This is not right. We've got to get down to the to the brass tacks of why this is not something that's working for you. So uh, in that moment when I was just sick of feeling gross and unhappy and dissatisfied, and I knew I had more to offer the world, but I wasn't offering the world that part of me, uh, I really, you know, that's when I embraced, look, this is what I'm good at. I feel good doing it. I'm going to do it. And I carved out a lane that nobody else gets in. When I called a judge, a local judge, to ask him for a letter of reference so that I could become a child welfare law specialist, he said, why do you want to do that? I said, because I want to. And he said, well, you know, you can just fill out paperwork like you don't have to you don't have to have this you're not going to make any money with it why would you bother 
And I said, because I want to. Now, you want to write the letter of reference or not? It, you know, if you don't want to, let me know. He said, no, I'm happy to write it. I just don't understand what you're doing. I said, okay, you don't have to. I don't know that I understand it, but it's happening. So let's just go with it. And that, you know, that really was the first significant tool in my professional practice toolkit uh, to help me get to where I am today professionally. And those moments of pink carpet and being the kid that was reading instead of playing video games and feeling, you know, the kid that didn't go to the dance all the time, practicing being comfortable in moments that are uncomfortable has served me as good or better than any education I've ever gotten at a school, any degree I've got, any certification I've got, uh, as recently as this Sunday, you know, the children's minister at our church uh, ended up sick, and she was like, I can't, I can come be sick and lead the children's play for Christmas, or we can figure it out, so I got there, and obviously, we didn't want her there sick, but I was like, I can do this, I can do, they said, well, you don't know what you're doing, I said, okay, I'm really good at not knowing what I'm doing, but I'm also really comfortable. You know, it don't bother me to talk to folks. And everybody here is just folks. And they're just here to see kids in cute costumes. So it doesn't matter what the play is. We just want a right. chance to take pictures. And so being in that space where I feel really comfortable doing what feels authentic, regardless of whether or not it matches the world around me, as far as what priorities are culturally, you know, politically, socially, whatever, is really good. It feels really good. And the more I practice it, the more expansive that comfortability is, the better I am at it. You know, so this cosmic sprinkles thing, which started out as just a personal conversation between me and the universe, has turned into a hashtag. It's turned into people coming up and asking me. It's turned into a topic of conversation. It's turned into kind of like a, a, a study guide for folks. Uh, I use it in a drug recovery. I use it as a curriculum in a drug recovery court program that I'm, in, I'm involved with. I use it with my juvenile court kids. I got friends who are miserable in their jobs who will search that hashtag to see what's going on when we can be grateful for these really cool moments when we see the universe align. Uh, and so, you know, something that I probably would have been too embarrassed to admit or refer to or or just, you know, acknowledge and embrace, uh, you know, as, as recently as 10 years ago, has now become a fundamental part of a conversation that not only is happening, but needs to happen. Like we need to have the conversation about why do we have to assume that the world is always working against us. We can look for good just as much as we can look for bad. And, and so practicing from a young age, sticking to this is what I want. This is what I'm here to offer. This is my best contribution to the world around me. And then sticking with that, even if people say, you know, why don't you get brown carpet is really how I have gotten to a place that's really incredible. I recently decided to run for circuit court judge here in, in the judicial district where I practice. And, you know, the first thing everybody says was you got to do this and you got to do that. And this is how you politic and, you know, et cetera. And, and I, I had to sit down with myself and say, am I willing to exchange my values and my integrity in some places in order to meet the political standards of the folks who are talking to me? Or do I want to run my race? And so I decided, you know, I've got to be authentic and I've got to have integrity. So I've got to do what I say I'm going to do. And when I decided that, and I've decided to run my race. It, it has opened up all kinds of doors. I have never advertised in 15 years of practice. Uh, and then because of some technicalities with, uh, I can't spend campaign money because I don't have a campaign treasurer, but I can advertise for the law firm. And so I started going on a local radio show and I was supposed to be there 10 minutes a week to talk about the law. That turned into an hour on Tuesdays. Well, now it's an hour on Tuesdays and an hour on Thursdays. And sometimes it's Friday mornings. Uh, and now people that I didn't realize I had a relationship with would come up and say, you know, are you Stacy? I've heard you on the radio. And, and ask questions about things going on in their own families and, and talk about cosmic sprinkles and, and really just sit and connect with me, spend their time, invest their time in me. Which, you know, that's pretty impressive to me. Time's the only thing, time and land are the only things we can't get more of. And, and to have people generously share those resources with you to, to open up or ask a question or trust you with something that's so deeply affecting their family is incredible. And I have no doubt in my mind that I would not have experienced any of that incredible joy and any of that incredible contentment and any of that just like real exciting, fun time uh, unless I had, you know, starting 
at age five saying I want pink carpet and sixth grade deciding to read instead of play video games and 10 years ago saying I, I can't do what everybody's telling me to do. Being a weirdo has in many ways not only saved my life, it literally saved my life 10 years ago because I, I have no doubt in my mind I would either be in the throes of really unhealthy toxic behavior or dead um, if I hadn't have just been willing to accept the weirdo in me, as you say, and, and really, you know, fully live it. Uh, but now like it's really caused this really cool, fun, wholly fulfilling existence. And, and that, you know, if I, die, if I died tomorrow, I'd be happy because I've done so many cool and wonderful things. And you, uh, how we got to meet and know each other. I mean, that, that's just incredible that, that we are spending our time here together today. That, and and I, I told you when we first met that your use of the word weirdo, that's a word we use around our house. And I didn't know anybody else used it. It's a positive word in our house. You know, it says, here's something you're doing that is uniquely and beautifully you. And so when you, you texted or messaged and said, here's my podcast, and I was able to learn and, and see all the guests that you've had and all the, the things that you're doing around this space, it's really just fantastic and incredible. And I trust we wouldn't be here today having this conversation if it weren't for each of our willingness to embrace the weirdo in each of us. That is absolutely true. Now, you said that the day that you bought those cosmic sprinkles, a bag full of cheap stuff from the dollar store. And then you realize that they were somehow meaningful to you. Can you give us some examples of what those things were and how uh, they were meaningful to you? Sure, absolutely. So uh, for, and again, it was just like, so it was just a, a basic small plastic sack, you know, that you would maybe get at a grocery store or whatever. Uh, I had bought a calendar that I thought was an incredible Hulk calendar. I'm not a person who is particularly enamored with uh, like comic books or superheroes or that sort of thing, but I love Iron Man. I, I love that this just really smart guy found himself in a really dark place and then he engineered a, a way out of it. To me, that is that is a pretty good story. Uh, and so Iron Man is, is an example that I use when I'm trying to connect with kids on, you know, yeah, it's tough, but how can we figure this way out? Whether it's behavior choices, grades, et cetera, how can I relate to you in a way that makes sense? And Iron Man is typically something that, that I use. So I had bought a calendar thinking that it was an Incredible Hulk. It was green. There was Incredible Hulk graphics all over it. Uh, there was really no reason to think it was any other Marvel character. But when I opened it up, it was an Iron Man calendar. No, so whether it was, you know, I just didn't understand the packaging or it was a packaging error. And that's why it was so cheap. I don't know. But it, of all the Marvel characters, it was Iron Man. Then I had bought uh, what I thought was an Easter holiday, like sock item. It was in a, a little bag, but it was intended to be some sort of like party clothing, necklace, whatever. Well, I had bought it around St. Patrick's Day, uh, and St. Patrick's Day for me is kind of the first time in the year when we're getting close to spring. So it's a holiday that I can really get behind. It, you know, it doesn't have all the pressure of Christmas. Green beer is always fun for me, uh, and it, it, I really like St. Patrick's Day, and it's kind of, you know, if I can make it to St. Patrick's Day, then the cold weather is fixing to be behind us. So when I bought this item thinking it was an Easter thing for somebody, and then I opened it up, and it was all St. Patrick's Day stuff. Again, I was expecting one thing that, you know, was mundane, not really particularly pointed towards me. Uh, but and then when I opened it up, there's all this stuff that I just really love. And, it, you know, it was I was like, this is crazy that this is happening. Uh, then, as you know, so I had these two things that were specific to something I enjoy, the, the Iron Man and the St. Patrick's Day stuff. Well, then I got to a pack of, there was a, a pack of, it was like a little school pack with pencils and stickers and things in it. Uh, and I opened it up to kind of lay it out and tear it apart so I could break everything out to different piles for this project. And when I opened it up, it was all unicorns and rainbows. And I thought, like, if that's not the icing on the cake, that this thing that I thought was just, you know, ordinary pencils and school supplies turns into literal rainbows and unicorns. And unicorns was really interesting. There was a time in my practice, I had a DCS worker who had come to me, I, I was representing a child. And so as a lawyer in Tennessee, we can represent children who are alleged to be abused or neglected in a role called guardian ad litem. So we serve specifically, you have to be a lawyer to serve in that role in this state, and you have to represent the best interest of the child, not necessarily what they want, but it's your job to really focus on safety, 
permanency, well-being, how can we keep this kid safest, longest uh, to help them adjust into a stable adulthood. And this DCS worker had come up to me and said, will you leave this child with this relative? And I said, what do you think I am, a unicorn? <laughs> like, how are we going to make this mythical? Like, there's no way this can, practically speaking, this, this outcome doesn't exist. And sure enough, uh, I left the child. I said, I tell you what, I'm a, I'm a betting person. I'll be happy. This is a long shot. Uh, this is a dark horse, but I'll take it just because I'm feeling whimsical. I don't know. Uh, there was no immediate risk of harm. So it wasn't like I was like playing with the child's life or anything. But I, I told her, I said, I'll give you two weeks. I'll give you two weeks. Here's the services I want in place. Here's the oversight I need. Uh, if in two weeks, then we've turned this case around. Great. If not, I'm putting this kid in custody. And she said, if you'll give me two weeks, I'll change this. So two weeks later, she had not changed anything. Uh, and we kind of laughed about, you know, whether unicorns exist. But at the end of two weeks, because we had given it that space, another family member who was better situated and a nearly perfect fit for this child, uh, both from their standpoint, they, you know, they've been trying to have kids, weren't able to look in to provide a home for a kid that needed it relative and related to this child in need who needed a person who you know could focus only on him had the resources this child needed to really overcome some significant trauma and that that relative wasn't available two weeks prior if we had removed the child two weeks prior then odds are that child would have been placed in such a way that we wouldn't have been able to move him from the placement we put him in two weeks prior to this relative placement where he needed to be. So on the one hand, it, it didn't work out the way we thought it would, but it worked out brilliantly and magical nonetheless. And so unicorns had kind of, I was like, oh my goodness, what if, you know, what if unicorns are really something that, that I can create metaphorically, at least in my practice? What if I look for the chances to bring to life the things that aren't supposed to exist. So that was something I was playing with in my head anyway, uh, when I got this bag and, you know, to go from the world's conspiring to a bag just full of stuff that resonated with me to be capped off by rainbows and unicorns. You know, it, it, uh, if God was sitting next to me himself, I don't, or herself or themselves, I don't know that I could have planned that any better to affect me deeply the way it has. And when I began to really step into that belief that, you know, I do bring, I bring something to the table everywhere I'm at. And if I bring negativity and pessimism and, and frustration, uh, then that's, that's the only value that I'm going to add to that situation where I'm at. If I bring open-mindedness, if I bring authenticity, if I bring my integrity, then I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do to these situations. And I let the universe conspire, then, you know, there are, there are days when the, the thing that seemed impossible really comes together. And nine times, you know, we got to, in my experience, you know, a place where, oh, things can turn out really well. You know, you get the Iron Man calendar or whatever. So then you get to see things that are so good, you couldn't have imagined them uh, coming together, coming together. And so uh, for me, that, that bag of crap was really a, a first moment into a different perspective that has changed my life fundamentally. Isn't that amazing how things that you never expected turn out to be the turning point or just thing that you needed to have a perspective change, a paradigm shift? Absolutely. Or what I call what I call a quantum leap. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the particle physics, but quantum leap is an interesting most people think of the TV show Quantum Leap from mm -hmm years ago, which has nothing to do with the actual physical quantum leap, no. uh, which is the moment where an electron leaves one orbit and shows up in the next orbit without leaving any trace of having traveled, even by a microsecond. It's not like it went from here to there. It just, it stopped being here and started being here. It's an instantaneous shift and they call it a quantum leap there's a difference a quanta is an amount the difference of energy between this lower orbit and the higher orbit when the electron gets to the higher orbit level it just stops being here and starts being there it's not like it was progressively going over there it was just like boom it's an instant thing and I, I it, it's known as quantum leap i call that 
paradigm shift, a quantum leap. And I've had moments of quantum leap in my life as well. That's a brilliant uh, illustration of, of that experience. And, and I find, it, especially using that example, that quantum leaps almost aren't, you know, by, by mere definition, can't be something that we work towards. And so for us to be here one minute and in a different place altogether, another minute really has to be a function of just being in the moment, present and open to that shift happening. I think when we decide where we're going to go and we put all the work into it and these are the things, there's nothing wrong with having goals and working towards those goals. But those are really capped by our expectation and our abilities. If we experience these quantum leaps and we have the open mindedness to just be confident that we're electrons and we're going places, you know, we are who we are and, and living in that authenticity, then those quantum leaps are, you know, exactly like you said, they, they hit us and they're really, in, in my experience, of course, I can't speak for everybody, but in my experience, those quantum leaps have really been pivotal moments in, in my journey. And, and really, I wouldn't trade the world for them. And every one that I've had so far is not one that I would have anticipated. Have you read a book called God Winks? Well, I've heard it's on my to-do list. It's, uh, but it have not made it through that book yet. Okay, uh, excellent, excellent collection of quantum leaps. And um, yeah, I read that many years ago, and I was just like, okay, yep, this make this all all makes sense. And um, what I find fascinating is that. The quantum physics has been around for more than 100 years. And it is the principles of quantum physics that has given us modern technology of lasers and everything else that we can think of. But we have not incorporated the principles of quantum physics into our everyday lives. Yes, yes. Uh, and it's been really interesting. So uh, I, as I told you, I'm, a, I'm an education nerd. Uh, I love I love school. And I went back to get my master's. I'm getting my master's in public health policy from Johns Hopkins with the intention of being able to expand the conversation around trauma and how we help all of us through that since we're all walking each other home and we all experience things that shape us sometimes in a toxic and unhealthy way. The first class I took was a class called mental health and the gut. And through that class for the first time in 40 years, I learned or heard even, I didn't even have heard of it, that most of our joy hormones, serotonin and dopamine are created in our small intestine. And the, the cortisol and other stress hormones originate in our intestine. And so when we say gut brain, it is quite literally the thing that is driving the brain in our head uh, through the control of hormones, which turn on glands, turn off glands. So uh, for instance, the stress response originates in, in our gut, goes into the bloodstream and tells our amygdala, which is the home for reason and logic to turn off. And that's why we don't think through whether or not we should run when we see a copperhead. I've never tried to discuss with a copperhead snake uh, whether or not he should be where he or she is, or I should be, you know, what do we do here? How do we resolve this? Impact? I run, I run real fast to get, I walk away slowly, and then I run as fast as I can. And so, you know, fight, flight, or freeze is a, a state that keeps us from thinking, from feeling accurately, from responding well, from acting in our own best interest. And so often we treat things like mental health, our perspective, our attitudes, our authenticity, who we are as being kind of this weird blob of, you know, some people when I was a kid, you know, if I had told my dad half the things that I've told him in the past five years, he'd have said I was crazy because it sounds like, you know, new age or modern or mystical, or, you know, whatever label any particular culture puts on things that are hard to understand. But the more I study and the more I learn, we are intricately connected to the physical world on every level, including spiritually. And so, you know, these, the idea that quantum physics doesn't apply to us uh, emotionally or in, in how we perceive ourselves, et cetera, is a, is a misnomer. It's a misguided statement that makes it easy to compartmentalize things. But we're really, I think, kind of putting ourselves at a disadvantage in how we navigate in the world. Because a lot of those principles that we assume are solely scientific or physics or, you know, more physical in nature, 
you know, the laws of energy apply to us even now because we are energy. We are matter with energy that moves around. And so when we look at how life functions, uh, there's a lot of data that we can use from the hundreds and thousands of years where people have been developing these scientific theories that translate across the board, not just science. And so I, I find it really interesting, especially when I start considering the world uh, through those laws of physics and whatnot, uh, it, it really is a universal truth that I can apply to, to help myself understand my world around me better and me in it better. It's not limited to lasers. I, I am a laser, I guess. <laughs> so I can use those, those truths that uh, other people have figured out for different purposes to really understand where I need to be and how I move to. What would you say to someone who's struggling with embracing their inner weirdo? Thank you for that. Thank you for that question. Um, first, I, I would hesitate to offer just advice. I think as humans, we are quick to tell people how to fix themselves or how to you know, solve their problems without doing a lot of listening. And so first, I would want to know more and hear what this particular person uh, is experiencing. But generally speaking, I would say to any weirdo, I see. I see how you move and I see how the world sees you and I see that you may feel different than the world around you and that that sense of difference may feel lonely and it may feel hurtful and it may feel isolating and it may feel sad and it may frustrate you because it just doesn't make sense and you know as as people as humans we need the world to make sense around us and it may not feel good that who you feel you are doesn't make sense with what people say you are or who people say you should be. And so first of all, I see, I, I see you and I've been there and I know what that's like. And for me, it was a real challenge and it sucked. Like there's just no other word, but that feeling sucked. Uh, but as somebody who, who tried to, to consider being what other people saw me as and coming to terms with that, I can tell you that you are here with a completely brilliant and unique thing to give us, whether whatever it is you create, uh, because humans are really just things that create, whether it's hair and, you know, dead skin cells, uh, extra blood platelets, whatever, or people who use brains and resources to really make new things. We're here to create whatever it is you're good at creating, whether it's peace, whether it's energy, dance, music, word, engineering, folding boxes, whatever it is, you have a completely brilliant and unique skill set uh, to create things that this world will not be the same without. And every minute that you spend listening to somebody else who doesn't know you, they're not an expert in you, who doesn't see what you can do, who doesn't hear what you have to offer the world, who, who can't appreciate the brilliance that is you as a unique person, uh, that's one more minute this world is a little bit smaller than it needs to be. And so I, I know it's scary and I know it can be challenging and you may not have all the answers that you need. You shouldn't. Those are answers you need to be looking for the rest of your life. But if you will take the very brave first step of saying, I'm going to embrace exactly the weirdo I was here to be, and I'm going to see exactly how I can change the world, then I can tell you the second you take that brave step, this world becomes bigger. This world becomes brighter. This world becomes a better place for all of us just by you bravely, courageously daring to be exactly who you were meant to be. And then as you grow and you get good at and better at doing the things that you are here to do, uh, then you'll see yourself how you make the world a better place to live. And I, I hope on behalf of the rest of us that that's a, a, a step that you find the courage to take because we need you to. It, the world needs you to. Years ago, this idea came to me during a conversation or a speech. I can't remember what the moment was, but the thought came to me that the reason you're here is because you decided to be here. And by making that decision, you change the world because if you had decided differently, you wouldn't be here. And the audience that I'm speaking to would be a different audience. So my world would have been different if you weren't here. Well, not only that, if you were not here, then you were elsewhere interacting with someone else 
which means their world is different because you're there and not here. And basically what you were saying was embrace who you are and recognize that power that you have yes. within you just by being you to change the world. Yes. And, you know, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to affect change that we judge needs to happen. Sometimes it is, well, no, I, I want to be specific in changing that word choice. Every time, all the time, we change the world, just like you said, just by being where we are. We it, Sometimes we're not where we need to be to be what we think we should be, uh, but every minute we spend where we're not supposed to be is a minute that helps us understand exactly where we're supposed to be. I think one of the struggles I've had through the years is this idea that there is a right and a wrong. And now I'm not saying there's not right and wrongs in the world. Obviously there is. I, but as a person who has had the experiences I've had, I trust that if there was a circumstance that was less than for me, it was there to show me how to get more than next time. So, you know, it's just like going to law school and deciding I'm going to be a lawyer that meets all the boxes on how you be a lawyer. I was miserable. And every day I spent miserable in that role helps me reaffirm that what I'm doing now is exactly where I need to be. If I had not tried that, you know, it's easy to say, well, that was a mistake. I never should have tried it to begin with. But, you know, how would I have known unless I tried it? So it's real easy for us to get down on ourselves or judge ourselves or others because we find ourselves in a place that's not. I mean, I bought a bag of crap that I thought was Easter and Hulk Hogan or not Hulk Hogan and the Incredible Hulk. I thought I did everything I knew to do to make that outcome of Incredible Hulk and Easter be the thing that worked out. but it didn't work out the way I expected. And I could, you know, I could have just as easily chosen to see that as, a, you know, a, a manufacturing error or a store error, or, you know, find blame to assign, get down in the mouth about it. Or, you know, fortunately, what that moment was for me was a quantum leap where I was able to see some, nothing is, it is what you think it is. And sometimes we can't explain how we get from one orbit to the next but if we're open-minded to see every moment as an opportunity, then to do, to, to do, to learn, to grow, to be our weirdo and embrace our weirdo and get to be more of a weirdo than we are before, then, then that's what it'll be. And it's all helpful. So, you know, it may not be solving the world poverty problem or curing cancer, but if it's just helping someone in your family see themselves differently because you had the courage to, to be who you are. I, I tell you, one thing that happened to me over the pandemic uh, is my first grade teacher reached out to me and I hadn't talked to her in years. And she said, Stacy, I just want to say thank you for being open about who you are. And I said, thank you for those kind words. I really appreciate it. That means a lot coming from you. She said, our, our culture teaches girls not to go to school. And you have just never backed off of being a nerd. And you have inspired my children, uh, her, her daughters, to consider whether they want to go to school too without worrying about what people would think. I didn't go to school to inspire young girls everywhere, old girls everywhere to go to school. Obviously I went to school because I love going to school. And I'm, you know, I would not feel badly about going to school. It wouldn't change my perspective if nobody saw me going to school. I go to school because I want to go to school. But knowing that other people now feel more comfortable being who they are because I feel more comfortable being who I am shows me that it doesn't have to be a big thing to be an important thing. And so when we have the courage to be the weirdos that we are, we invite everyone to bring their unique skill set, their joy, their authenticity to the table. And if what, I mean, just think for one second, if we, if you had a room of 20 folks and 20 of them are trying to impress the other 19, then you're going to have a room of chaos, heartache, and pain. If you were in a room of 20 folks and all 20 folks were happy just being who they are, I mean, there's no war in that room. They're not trying to turn anybody into anybody else. There's no discontent. There's just folks being who they are. And, and so when we are who we are, we really bring a sense, even if our world is small, the world is small that sees that, we change that part of it. And it's got to change, you know, one cell, one atom, one electron at a time. So yeah, do it. If someone wants to use your services, hire you, um, 
give you some money. Well, where would they go? Find me a few places. The easiest way most folks find me uh, is on Facebook. You spell my name S T A C I E O'Donnell O D E N E A L, uh, or do a Google search for O'Donnell Law or O'Donnell Firm. Either one comes up. Uh, and you know, obviously, I'm happy to talk about adoption. If you need legal representation in the state of Tennessee, I'm certainly qualified and in a position to help you with that. Uh, but if if it's not legal representation necessarily that you're looking for, but just want you know either a one-on-one -on -one conversation, uh, I do a lot of talking to groups. I love speaking to, to groups and and organizations about. Uh, everything from adoption to dealing with trauma to navigating authenticity, uh, principles of finding your purpose and passion in life, finding the courage to, to follow those dreams, understanding how uh, trauma affects our family relationships, talking about how um, different legal processes work. All, you know, I'm, I'm happy to discuss any of those things. Uh, social media works. You can also call my office at 931-762-4012. Now, that brings me to what I had told you yesterday when we had our conversation. You have the most unique voicemail uh, recording that I have ever heard. When someone calls you and you're not there to answer the phone, usually, you know, you hear a cookie cutter message. Sure, Elias delightfully different and that's what weird is all about being different and being delightful would you mind sharing that with us oh, for sure uh, i have it pulled up hey you got stacy thank you for calling i'm really excited that you called unfortunately i'm not in a place where i can talk on the phone right now so we've got a few options one if you're calling because there is an emergency then i need you to call 911 if anybody's threatening you or you're bleeding profusely, let's start there. Then we'll talk later. Secondly, if it's not an emergency, then you can call my office at 931-762-4012. Talk to anybody's answers. They're all fantastic and fabulous. They're going to talk with you about why you're calling and what we can do to help. And then they'll reach out to me the best way they know how so that we can help you as quickly as possible. Our third option is for you to text this number, and I'll be happy to help you if I can. And then our fourth option is for you to email at Tennessee, all spelled out, farm, F-A-R-M, law, L-A-W, at gmail.com. I'm on social media. Uh, you can send a letter to P.O. Box 392, Orangeburg, Tennessee, 38464. But I'm glad you called. I hope to hear from you soon. And I'm so looking forward to resolving whatever it is you're calling about. Thanks, friend. That is the most amazing voicemail message that I've ever heard. And it's a little over a minute, um, but it is delightful. Another example of what you call the cosmic sprinkle, where the world is full of joy and happiness and they they can come from anywhere in the least expected place that i expected it to come from was an answering machine about leaving a message thank you so much stacy i loved our conversation and i know we've gone over an hour with this thing so um i'm going to have a heck of a time uh, trying to edit anything out well, of it. Well, this has been an absolute joy. I certainly have appreciated our time together. Uh, it doesn't seem like it was an hour. It seems much shorter, but time flies when you're having fun. So I, thank you for inviting me and having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Embrace Your Inner Weirdo podcast, where we debunk the myth that weirdo is a four-letter word. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Share it with a friend and leave a tip if you like the show.